Hi, my name is Danae. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ um, who struggles with false pride, anger, lust, codependency, and nicotine. The, the biggest relationship that I have seen the most change in, and, and I think for, for most people that they've seen the changes in my marriage. And um, there was a time where um, anger and resentment basically ran my marriage. and uh, But I don't, I don't think I would have called it um, resentment. I, I think I would have called it a justified bitterness because uh, I thought I was, I, I was really justified in, in my anger towards my husband. And um, but looking back um, now because it's all about recovery, I know my husband has uh, really put up with a lot for me. And whereas before I thought it was so much more him, um, God is just, I don't know, he just made it, made me so aware of how uh, I had such a lack of, of grace and forgiveness towards my husband. I was a, a mental list maker. There was a time when, I mean, anytime Jason would try to point out any area that he thought I needed correction in or, you know, that, that would help our relationship, man, I would bust out my, my mental list and be like, oh, okay, well, what about this and this and this and this? And, you know, I could tell him every time he's ever, you know, failed me or, you know, didn't do something that I thought he should have done or said something that hurt me, I could just, and I mean, I was really good at the mental list. And then I would use it against him and try to hurt him. I think it was the insecurity on my part. You know, I didn't want to look at myself. And um, it's like that, uh, the verse about, uh, you know, can't see because of the, the plank in your own eye, you know, how can you see to take that speck? You know, that's what I was trying to do. I was busily trying to take that, that little bitty speck out of, out of Jason's eye when, you know, I, I really, this is, you know, five years ago, did not think it was me. Did not think it was me. I thought it was Jason. That, you know, he's just, he's the one with all the issues, you know, and. When we started coming to Celebrate Recovery, I mean, the first time that we started going, it was really, I, I was there just to serve. I didn't think that, you know, I really needed Celebrate Recovery. I didn't think that I was one of those people. And um, so we, we just kept coming back. And uh, eventually God just, I mean, he, he broke down these walls and just made me look at myself in a way that, I mean, it was really <laughs> overwhelming and scary at first. But um, it's like Terry said, you know, you just take one issue at a time. And that's what he did. God just, you know help me look at one problem at a time and for me uh, I think uh, pride was probably my, my biggest my biggest one because I I didn't want to be wrong I didn't want to admit that I was wrong and or that I had been wrong so I decided to come up with a list of all the bad things that I had ever done whether it was um, something I'd said to Jason did or didn't do for him or even if it was just a thought that I that had crossed my mind, maybe I had um, lusted or something that he didn't even know about. So anytime I would get ready to whip out that mental list on him or, you know, point out a, an area that I thought he needed improvement on, I would just, you know, pull up both lists and I would just have them, you know, just cross each other out. You know, I'd be like, okay, well, I can't say anything because I did this, you know. And, um, and that's like, you know, shared this with you about how I'd pull up to a stoplight, you know, and there'd be a guy next to me and I'd want to, you know, fluff my hair or something, one of you found attractive, so that's less, you know, <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, if I just, do, if I do that, then I can't say anything to him, you know, and I, I think it was because God made me very aware of how just nasty and cruddy of a sinner I was, and so it, it made me, made it easier for me to have grace towards my husband, whenever I, I took the, I guess I started peeling that onion, like they always say, when I started getting down to the to the deep stuff and, and realizing 
that I was not not as good as I thought I was, that I could really start showing Jason a lot more grace. I mean, really, it was understanding understanding what Jesus Christ has, has done for us, you know, understanding His grace, God's grace that uh, I just think, man, if He can forgive me for all the things that I've done, that, you know, how can I... How can I withhold that from, from my husband or anybody else? You know, I, I don't hold anything against him now. And, uh, and I know he does it with me either. And <laughs> I hear people talk at Celebrate Recovery how he just, he, he glorifies me. You know, he, he talks about how great of a wife I am. And uh, I feel so unworthy of, uh, of his praise. But it's, you know, it's because of that praise too that I want to, I want to be a better wife. I want to do more. To me that... uh... Danae, and she's not the only one. By the way, that was not her in making all the sounds in the video. Uh, I got to honor her in that. Um... Uh, but she said she didn't want to be one of those people. And did you notice her list of, of issues? She ran out of fingers on one hand when she, I had to struggle with this and this and this. But, I mean, I, I'm not saying that to say she's a, she's a bad person at all. I'm just saying that most people that check out Celebrate Recovery come and they think, well, I'm not one of those people. You come for a while and you realize, not only am I one of those people, I'm probably worse than all of those people who go to Celebrate Recovery. It's just I haven't been honest. They're honest about their stuff and I haven't been honest. And that's kind of what we've been talking about in this whole series. There's a series of choices that Christ says we need to make if we're going to live happy happy, satisfied, fulfilled lives. And we're in our sixth week. And so far, every week, we've been looking at the Beatitude, uh, Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Every week, we've tied one sentence from Jesus' sermon into the choice that we need to make for that week. But this week, we're actually looking at two of the sentences from that sermon. The first one is Matthew 5, 7, which says, "...happy are those who are merciful to others." This statement has all to do with me forgiving other people that have hurt me. I am showing mercy to other people. The second statement is Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Happy are those who work for peace. This is all about going to people that I have hurt and making amends when I can. That's why this, this choice, this week, number, week number six, choice number six, is called the relationship choice. Today I'm going to challenge you to do this. Here it is on the screen. To evaluate all of my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for harm that I've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or others. All of the first five choices we've looked at have focused inward. When we get to choice number six, step number six, we take this radical turn and we begin to look at all of the relationships that we have outside that we are in, um, in our day-to-day lives. And in this step, God wants you to forgive others that have hurt you, and He wants you to seek forgiveness from those people whom you've hurt. And, and some of you are immediately going to go, ah, why? Well, let me take you through a Bible story. We're going to walk through this Bible story. Jesus himself is talking, and let's see what he had to say about this issue. At that point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, I don't know what point, some point when he'd been following Jesus, Jesus has been doing all of this teaching, some point, and I'm imagining something happened where Jesus is talking about forgiveness. So Peter says, all right, I've got enough nerve, let's ask this question. Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who who hurts me? Seven? All of the, the rabbis, all of the teachers of that day said you only had to forgive three times. 
and then you wrote them off. You were done with the relationship. So, so Peter wasn't, I don't think he was trying to show off. He was just saying seven, you know, there's gotta be a limit, Lord. There's gotta be an end to how many times I forgive somebody. So he's thinking seven, you know, that's this complete number in the scripture. You know, seven seems to be this great spiritual number seven. And look what Jesus says, seven, hardly try 70 times seven. 490? Is that the point? I'm supposed to count up notches 490 times? Well, let's keep going. The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. And he got underway. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man, along with his wife, children, and goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. The king's thinking, he's never going to be able to pay this back. I might as well cut my losses, sell him and all of his people and his family just to see what I can get, just to recoup a little bit of that money. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. Touch my his plea, the king let him off, erasing the debt. Y'all'd like, you'd like for the bank to do that, wouldn't you? Just, you don't have to pay anymore. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him 10 bucks. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. The poor wretch threw himself down and begged. Doesn't this sound like something you just heard? Give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. But the first servant wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. When the other servants saw this going on, they were outraged and brought a detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and said, You evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? The king was furious and put the screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. And that's exactly what my Father in heaven is going to do to each, of, each one of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercy. Well, there's some points that I want to make from this uh, passage. The first one is, why should you forgive? The first reason is God has forgiven you. This is on your listening guide. We really don't need any others, but there's several others we're going to look at. First reason is God has forgiven you. Colossians 3.12 says this, Be gentle and ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The big message, uh, big picture message of this story that Jesus is telling is, you will never hurt, or no one will ever hurt you any more than you have hurt God. No one will ever sin against you more than you have sinned against your heavenly Father. And because your heavenly Father has forgiven you a huge debt, you're supposed to forgive others. Well, let's say I just ask you to write down everything that everyone has ever done to you. Danae talked about a mental list. Most of us are mental list makers. And kind of to symbolize this, I brought a roll of toilet paper because there's just junk in our lives, just mess in our lives. What if I ask you, and some of you, by the way, one roll wouldn't be enough, so I have a four-pack if you need to, to write down every hurt, every hurtful word, everything your parents did, all the way back kindergarten, as soon as you can remember. Maybe you can remember in the crib, and they didn't change your diaper fast enough, you'd write that down. And and so everything that, you, that has ever been done to you, every word that's ever been said. Maybe they painted your room the wrong color and it caused you to have some weird kind of sensation. I don't know. But you write that stuff down. And, and we're just going to we're going to start and we're going to go all the way back until now. And some of you it's just going to take off, man. And, and we're going to roll and roll and roll. And, and we'll go through as many as we need to. Right? Because we're list makers. There's stuff that's happened to us. And, and I want you to put it all down on the piece of paper and I want you to catalog it. You know, come up with some kind of Dewey Decimal system uh, like you have at the library. 
Now, do you realize if we actually did this today, if I passed around a bunch of toilet paper and you started taking squares and writing down, do you realize we would write until whenever Jesus comes back? Because this process is endless. If you've got breath, not only have you been hurt, somebody's going to hurt you probably today, definitely tomorrow or the next day. You will be hurt. And if we're not careful, what happens is because of all this junk that I've got in my life, I begin to build walls around my heart. And, and the Bible tells us you want to have a good relationship, you have to tear down the walls that are around your heart. And so it's a very difficult process sometimes. The longer the, the hurt lingers, the more fortified the walls are. Cataloging our hurts is a never-ending job. And so some of us have layer and layer and layer around our heart. And we can't even have a decent relationship today because of all the junk that's happened to us in our past. And the number one reason the Bible says that we're supposed to forgive others and tear down walls between our hearts and others is because Jesus Christ, God's Son, sinless Son of God, came and He tore down the walls that existed between you and between Him. We could stop there. We're not going to, but we could. So let's unpack this story a little bit more. Homeboy number one wakes up. It's a normal day. He has no idea that he's about to be summoned before the king. You have no idea when you walk out to the mailbox that sometimes there's going to be that, that audit letter from the IRS. And no matter what your situation is, when you get the audit letter from the IRS, what does your heart do? Oh, crap. You know, what did I do wrong? So he's probably thinking, what did I do wrong? It seems the king was going over his books and realizes that homeboy number one owes him a hundred grand. Now, back then, you got to understand, hundred thousand dollars to us, some of us are like, oh, that's not that big a deal. You should know how much debt. Back then, the average worker's salary was a buck a day, a dollar a day. How did this servant run up a hundred grand? We don't know. Something was going on. But here's the point. Making a dollar a day, homeboy number one, if he gave every penny to the king, didn't even worry about what providing for his family, if he gave every dollar every day to the king, do you know how long it would take him to pay back the debt? Just under 274 years to pay back the debt. A 30-year mortgage, those of you who have done a 30-year mortgage, how many payment stubs do you receive from your bank? Come on. 360. 30 years is 360. You know how big this payment book is going to be? 3,288 little payment stubs. So is there any way this guy is going to be able to repay the king? No stinking way. Well, do you realize who you are in the story? You're the servant who can't pay. You're the servant who owes the king more than you will make in four lifetimes. Our debt is made up of sin. Everything we've ever thought, said, or done that has been selfish or hurt another person is our debt of sin. And don't tell me you're a good person because I know the junk that goes through my mind that does not please God. Don't tell me you're a good person. Compared to whom? Compared to Jesus Christ? No, none is righteous, the Bible says. No, not one. I owed a debt I could never repay. You owe a debt you could never repay. And even if we kept every commandment of Jesus from now until the day we die, we never said an unkind word. If we gave all of our money to world vision, we never had a grumpy day and did everything perfectly, it would not be enough to earn us into the kingdom of God. That's depressing. But the story doesn't end there. 
the king does something totally unexpected. He cancels the debt. You ever heard of the IRS canceling a debt? They might negotiate, but I have never heard of them canceling a debt. Because I did some more math because I just like to do this stuff. If you made minimum wage today, before taxes, and you would make about $15,080 a year. Now, using the numbers from this story, if you had not paid taxes on that fifteen grand a year for 274 years, I know it's not possible, but just think with me for a minute. You know how much money you would owe taxes on? Four million one hundred thirty-one thousand nine hundred and twenty bucks. What do you think taxes are on that? Twenty-five percent. It's at least a mill. You got that hanging around? I do. You owe that much? Just come see me. Shoot. No. But the king canceled the debt. Why did he do it? Well, one reason is out of love, and he did it to free us. Those who've been forgiven much can forgive others. That's one of the messages from this story. But there's another. Number two. First is, you can forgive because God has forgiven you. Number two is, resentment doesn't work. Resentment causes me to miss today because I'm focused on what happened yesterday or last year. And see, the, the, the irony is, his resentment, he had just been freed by the king, but his resentment took him right back to imprisonment, to bondage. Resentment hurts you far more than it does the person that you're mad at. Justin, my buddy back there in the sound booth, a few months ago we showed you a video. I did an interview with him. Um, He was in my youth group. He came a few times way back when, when we were all much younger. And he came to the youth group. And and I got to know Justin a little bit then. He was dating a young lady. When they broke up, he he left. And and I didn't know a whole lot was going on. I would see Justin through the years because he lived here and I lived here. And I would say hi to him, shake his hand and all this stuff. What I didn't know was Justin hated me. Hated me. So through God's providence, he brings him back to new life. He had relatives that were coming here, and he's like, I don't want to go to that church because I hate Doug. He's, he's punk. I, I don't like him. And, but for whatever reason, God brought him back. This was in our old building. And I remember walking in, and, and I was like, yeah, cool, Justin's here. Well, the next week, Justin comes a little bit early. The second week he came, he comes a little early. And men just, you know, when somebody's got something troubling them, they're just, it's all over their face. And so I walk in and say, hey, man, what's up? And he goes, Dude, I got to tell you something. I'm like, okay. I hated you for 10 years. I'm like, wow. Yeah, he's amen. He's like, I, and I said, okay. Why? And then he kind of told me, I said, dude, I have no recollection of what you're even talking about. Anyway, this whole, whole deal is, now Justin's one of my closest friends. We meet on a weekly basis, trying to read, read the Bible and read books and, and trying to become better men and better husbands and better fathers. And, and isn't that funny? And, and here's the thing, some of you are going, oh, are you saying I've got to hang out with my arch enemy and become prayer partners? You don't, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But God does have a sense of humor about these things, and you do have to be honest. Um, Bitterness is emotional suicide. Justin was mad at me for something I didn't even know and something I didn't even do. And who was the bitterness eating up, me or Justin? Justin, he'll tell you that. He was committing emotional suicide because he was ticked off at me, and I didn't even know it. And and I love Justin, but i got to tell you, those 10 years, I didn't lose any sleep. I didn't even know he was mad. 
Now today, if Justin gets mad at me, I'm, I'll lose some sleep because he's a good friend. But you understand what I'm saying? Bitterness keeps you chained to somebody and they don't even know. They've moved on. You're the only one that keeps hurting yourself with the past. And you keep rehearsing it over and over and over in your mind. And it's eating you. It's killing you emotionally. Now, that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to chain myself to something that happened to me in the past. But that's not even the scariest part of the story. God's forgiven you so you can forgive others. Resentment doesn't work because all it does is it's emotional suicide. That's not even the worst part of this story. This, this next part scares me. And it ought to scare you. The third reason that we're supposed to forgive is because the unforgiving become the unforgiven. Holy cow. See, the process sounds real simple. I receive forgiveness from God. I receive you. A plus B equals C. Caleb's in algebra right now. We're, we're doing this whole formula thing. It's a simple formula. I, God forgives me. I forgive you. Boom, we're done, right? That's the way it works in real life, right? You see it all the time, right? No, because I don't like to forgive. I love to be forgiven. But if I'm going to be dead level honest with you today, I don't like to forgive. Because when you hurt me, I want to hurt you back. I mean, that's the, that's the ugly truth about me. And I think it's the ugly truth about you. I want you to pour out mercy and grace on me. I want to pour out justice on you. I'm speeding a little bit. Please, Mr. Policeman, give me a warning. Because I deserve justice. You're speeding and you cut me off. Where's the cops? Where's a good cop when you need one? Sorry, sucker, cut me off. (laughs) Can anyone relate to what I'm talking about? You deserve to pay when you've hurt me, but if I've hurt you, you think I deserve to pay. Well, in our story, homeboy number one has just been forgiven this huge debt. 274 years, 3,822 payments that he could never pay. He was forgiven. And what does he do? As soon as he leaves the IRS building, he sees homeboy number two. How, How much does homeboy number two owe him? Ten dollars. Ten days wages. Ten days wages in that society compared to a hundred thousand ten days wages. Do you understand what I'm talking about? A dollar a day it would have taken this guy a hundred thousand days to pay back. And you would expect in Jesus' story, you would expect because we're we'd love the happy ending. My kids watched uh, Charlie Brown the the uh, peanuts. Uh, uh, Halloween special. And, you know, Linus is waiting for the great pumpkin who never comes, you know, and we're like, man, he's a dork. But anyway, we want a happy ending, right? You'd expect Jesus to say, and homeboy number one forgave homeboy number two, and everything's great, you're dismissed. But that's not what happened, is it? (laughs) Homeboy number one acts like you and I act. You owe me. Pay up now or burn in hell. Now, we may not say it that way, but that's what our attitude really is. If you cut away all of the junk, we're just evil. I want mercy for my mess-ups. I want justice for yours. And you think about what a wicked, warped, sin-filled mentality that is that you and I show. I want, I'm mad. I deserve to be angry. And I, I will make you pay if it kills me. 
And the irony is, it often does. Even if we get along and I pretend it doesn't bother me, I got my list. And at the most appropriate time for me, the most convenient time for me, I'm going to bring out what you did to me, whether it's in a court of law or wherever it is that I need to get you back. That's what we do, isn't it? And the Bible says, if that's you, if that's me, not only is it a sin, but I'm, with, I'm, I'm putting myself at odds with God and I will not be forgiven for my sins. Besides being evil, <laughs> there's another problem with this, this path. In our story, the king hears about the ungrateful servant. The unforgiving servant, and he's shocked and he is ticked off and he calls the servant back in and he says, you wicked little punk, I forgave you a huge unpayable debt. You should have done the same thing for your fellow servant who owed you a measly 10 bucks. And then the kicker to the story is this. The Bible says, the king said, put the screws to him. Now you can look up this in a lot of translations. It's put him in prison, send him to the torture chamber. This one put the screws to him like, like you're, you're screwing his thumbs to the wall and you're screwing his feet to the wall so that you are gonna, you're going to torture him until he pays everything back. That's what the king says. And here's the idea of the story. God has forgiven us, so he's freed us. But whenever I'm bitter and I'm resentful towards someone else and I refuse to forgive, it is the same thing as building my own prison walls and torturing myself. How stupid is that? Nobody agrees? Okay, you want to build your own torture chamber, let us know. We'll come take pictures. And we'll talk about how jacked up you are. You're committing emotional suicide if you don't forgive, and you're cutting yourself off from the forgiveness of God. Now, look what Matthew 6.15 says. This couldn't be any clearer. Jesus, at the end of the Lord's, Su- the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Prayer, it's actually the model prayer. His disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. This is at the end of that, Matthew 6.15. If you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Holy cow, if I don't offer forgiveness to you, God won't offer forgiveness to me. And see, there's another little caveat here. I have to forgive others because I'm going to need God's grace and forgiveness in the future. I have no illusions that I'm not going to hurt you. None. I don't want to. It's not ever on my agenda. I have a, I have a calendar that I you know, write down the things I need to get done. Never, never have I written down. Get back at Dwayne Lightfoot. And that's where we come back to to Jesus' statement in Matthew 5, 7. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Well, so how do I show mercy to others? We're just going to go very practically the next few minutes. How do you offer forgiveness? Here it is. Number one, I've got to reveal my hurt. You have all kinds of options whenever you have hurts to deal with in your life. You can repress them and pretend they don't exist. You can ignore them and try not to think about them. But every time you try ignoring something and not thinking about it, what do you think about? That thing you were trying to ignore. So it doesn't work. You can stuff them down and say it's no big deal. But do you know what each of those options has in common when it comes to dealing with hurts? Each of those options does not work when it comes to dealing with hurt. The only thing that works is for you to admit it and get over it. If you want to close the door on something in the past, you can do it. But you've got to remember this. 
There is no closure without disclosure. You have to admit that that hurt. And no matter how, but we talked about this in my small group several weeks ago, that, uh, that you know, some of the guys, we, we feel stupid when we say that we're hurt. So what do we do? We just cover it up and we look stupid because everybody knows we're hurt, but we won't admit that we're hurt. So we're just stupid. And all the women are wanting to go, I know that's right, baby, but they don't want to because then they got to deal with the, the toilet paper. Um, so the first thing we got to do is admit it, reveal it by owning up the truth that it hurt me. Number two, release the offender. I reveal my hurt, I admit that it hurt me, and then I release the offender. And some of you are immediately thinking, well, shouldn't I wait for them to ask for forgiveness before I offer forgiveness? No. Because quite honestly, they might never ask. You'd be waiting a long time. Some of the people that have offended you, that hurt you deeply, are dead. How are you going to accomplish that one if you're waiting for them to ask for forgiveness? I don't care how many shows there are on TV, how many people that claim they can talk to somebody who's dead. They can't. That's why they go, oh, I'm feeling something. And somebody in your past had the letter D in their name. Dude, you're talking to a dead person. They know who they are and they know the name. Give me the whole name if you want me to believe it. Bible says there's no, there's no communication with the dead. You actually make the decision to forgive independently of the other person. You're forgiving the other person for you, not for them. You do it because what we've already talked about. God has forgiven you, resentment doesn't work, and the unforgiving become the unforgiven. Okay, so how often do I forgive? Here comes back to, to Peter's question. At that point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven. Jesus replied, seven, hardly. <laughs> Try 70 times seven. How often are you supposed to forgive? Not. You don't count on your little notch. You don't count the little squares of toilet paper till you get to 490. Jesus says, as long as you have breath, you keep forgiving. Because honestly, forgiveness is a decision followed by a process. So much of life is like this. I decide I'm going to forgive you, and then I forgive you over and over and over until it actually takes root in my life. How do you know when you've forgiven? When you can think about that person and the hurt doesn't burn anymore. When you can begin to pray for the the well-being of that person, you know you've probably released them. Until that point, you keep on forgiving. You keep on choosing to to forgive, and you follow the process. Someone else is going to ask, should I always release the offender face-to-face? Not always. Sometimes that would do more harm than good. But let let me get this real clear. Okay, And if you ever have any questions, come see me because I'll be gut-level honest with you. Let me give you a situation where you don't go to the person that you've offended and do this face-to-face or who has offended you. Someone commits adultery against you. It rips you apart. This happened 10, 15, 20 years ago. Everybody's gone their own separate ways. Could have been somebody that happened you know, way back in college or high school or right after. They have gone. They're in Seattle, Washington. They have a family. They got three or four kids. Their life is totally radically different than it was today. You come bopping up on their doorstep unannounced. Hey, remember me? What's that going to do to their life? Wreck it. Now... Because I know how the the human mind works. Some of you would say, Oh, Doug's saying if I commit adultery or I do something to my spouse, I don't need to bring that up because it might just hurt them today. That's not what I'm saying. You commit adultery 
on your spouse, the one you, you claim before God, I'm going to honor you, God, and I'm going to honor these vows and before all these witnesses, and I'm going to live with them till the day I die, that person needs to know that you have messed up and that God is doing something in your life and you're willing to come back to them and, and, and at least ask for forgiveness. So don't give me this crap about, oh, well, it might hurt them. There's that, little, that is not a, a back door so you don't have to do what God commands you to do. No, sir. You got somebody in this room that you've hurt? The Bible's real clear. You don't forgive them. They don't forgive you. They don't get the forgiveness of God. And we'll talk about making amends in just a minute. But am I clear on that? You ever unclear, come see me. I'll I'll tell you whether you're just being a chicken or not about asking for forgiveness. You say, and and here's the thing, if you can't go face to face, at least you got to start here. Maybe you talk to an empty chair. I mean, if I hurt my wife, it's really stupid for me to go in an empty chair and say, "Uh, Janie, baby, uh, will you please forgive me? That's just ignorant. I go to Janie. But in that, those other situations, when somebody, you know, somebody from 20 or 30 years ago, it might not be appropriate for, and maybe I need to do that. I'll tell you the second thing that I have done, I hadn't talked to an empty chair because that kind of just kind of freaks me out. But some of you might be those type of people that, that would freak me out. Um, but what I have done, there was a situation in a church several churches ago where a lady was just evil to me. And I knew going to her would not help. In fact, her husband had asked me not to go to her. And so I wrote a letter that I never intended to write. And I said, I forgive you because God has forgiven me. I forgive you because resentment doesn't work. I forgive you because I'm going to need forgiveness in the future. And I wrote out everything she'd done to hurt me. And I took it in my backyard and I burned it. And I released it right there. Because I knew it was going to do more harm if I showed up 10 years later. Remember when you messed me around? Well, I forgive you. That's, that wasn't appropriate at that time. Now, so here's the third thing you do. You reveal it. But the third thing is you replace my hurt with God's peace. Replace my hurt with God's peace. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Here's the thing. You get to choose what rules in your heart. It's your choice whether you let bitterness destroy you from the inside out or you choose the peace of God that surpasses all understanding to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It doesn't seem like a choice to me. It seems like a no-brainer. But how often do we choose, no, I'm not letting go. And we become these evil people because we're chained to our past. Now, Matthew 5, 9, this is what Jesus says. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. Not only do you have to forgive those who've hurt you, but you're supposed to go to people that you've hurt. Some of you remember Greg Lusk. Uh, he was in our church for, for a couple of years. Greg, uh, we showed his video when we started this series. Greg was a g- drug addict for 48 years. He's 60, 61 now. And, and he shared in there, he went through this whole process of, of getting right with God. He's been clean for 13 months now. And, and in this whole process, he realized he has nine children spread out through all the United States. And God began to work on him that he didn't have a good relationship with him because he was addicted to drugs when those children were conceived. And so they're all over. He has one child on death row. He's got one child that's a public prosecutor. Go figure that. And he has nine children. He said, I believe God wants me to go and make amends 
with these people. And so he's in California now trying to trace down all of his nine children, trying to establish a relationship with them and ask them to forgive him for his part. Some of the kids have openly responded to him. Some of them haven't yet. I fully believe that God's going to bring Greg back someday to tell us his story of how he obeyed God and God did mighty things in his life and in his children's life because he was willing to obey this and he was willing to go to someone and say, will you forgive me? Now, (laughs) this whole make amends thing, it's kind of like, y'all ever seen the, the show, My Name is Earl? The Bible does not talk about karma. You know, there's not this thing, if, you know, I go out and do something nice, somebody's going to do something nice. The Bible doesn't talk about that's karma. That's Earl. But but what Earl did was, you know, he wrote a list of all the people that he'd ever hurt. And he was going to go and make amends. And as he does that, he crosses off. Now, Earl just shows up and, and he usually makes things worse. He barges into somebody's life unannounced. He makes things worse. And, and then because it's Hollywood, in a 30-minute show, by the time it's over with, everything's great. And he can mark that one off his list. That only works in Hollywood. Let me give you some, some quick ideas about how you make amends with someone. And, and the first thing is you ask yourself, and this isn't even on here. How would I want someone to come to me? How would I want someone to make amends to me? But here's, here it is, real quickly. Do it at the right time. When you forgive others, it's all about you forgiving. When you ask others to forgive you, it's all about them. You're putting your pride and your heart on the line, and you're giving them all the power. And you don't say, sorry, You say these words, will you forgive me? And then it's all up to them. So you make sure you do it at the right time. Just because it's convenient for you doesn't mean it's convenient for them. Ecclesiastes says there's a right time and way to do everything. There's a time to let things happen. There's a time to make things happen. And sometimes when we're making amends, we've got to make things happen. Number two, do it with the right attitude. Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. You got to go in a humble spirit and you don't have to, don't tell somebody that I love you. The way you talk to them will let them know whether you love them or not. If you say, I'm coming to you in love. And I've had so many church members do this through the years. Doug, you know, I love you. And the first thing I'm going, no, I don't. Nothing in your past suggests that you love me. And then they just waylay you with their words. But there've been other times people have come to me broken and they said, man, there's something I just got to tell you. And I'm, I'm totally disarmed and I'm totally open to what they have to say. They don't have to come in with, I love you. Because I'll be able to tell by the way they come to me. And, and see, there's this deal. If you offend someone in, in private, you go to them in private. But I don't know how many times I've messed up in public. I, I chewed out a guy one time on the church youth van. And I mean, I just ripped him apart because he just... And, and we're, we're driving home and it's dark, you know, it's winter time. And, and man, God just nailed me because it was dead silent on the van. There's 15 kids packed and there's never dead silent with 15 teenagers on the van. And I ripped this kid about being so insensitive. And, and then we're driving in silence and I'm gripping the steering wheel we get about 10 miles down the road, and, and I'm not kidding. I hear God's voice say, okay, dipstick, it's time to make things right. Because what God was showing me was, man, you talk about being a moron. There are 14 people on this van who are very sure that you're a moron right now. There's no question in their mind. You are an idiot. And so I, I said, hey, man. I still remember the dude's name. I guarantee you he still remembers it. And I said, I was wrong. Man, I was, 
I took out on you my frustrations. That was dead wrong. I said this in front of the whole thing, and it's, don't, don't tell me that's fun. And, and I said, will you forgive me? Yeah. You hear from back in the silence. And later I pulled him aside and hugged him. I said, man, I am so sorry. I was wrong. If you offend somebody publicly, the, the scripture talks about you need to make amends publicly. All right, you with me? So, okay. One time I told Wes to shut up and turn his stupid bass down when we were rehearsing in front of the band. I'm like, it is not about you! And uh, he, he'll tell you, Doug almost made me cry. And, and he did. He actually went and called his best friend after we finished that rehearsal that day. This was years ago. And, uh, but before the rehearsal was over, I turned around and I said, Man, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And he goes, he calls his best friend. Hey, Doug made me cry in rehearsal. It was okay because he said he was sorry. <laughs> Number three, do it without expectation. If the other person, because here's what we do. We'll go and we'll say, I'm going to apologize to them, but I expect them to apologize to me. No, 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 no. Whether they apologize to you is irrelevant. Do you know that? Because you're, you're forgiving them for your benefit and, and you're doing what's right before God when you're going to make amends. If they don't forgive you, that's their problem. As long as you go in the right spirit, right time, right attitude, all those things. And then number four, make restitution whenever possible. If you borrowed something from somebody, pay it back. Years ago, I borrowed some, some ramps, some auto ramps from a guy, and then he moved. He was, a, he was another staff member, and he moved, and I thought, sweet, I got, I got some free ramps. And, you know, then God starts dealing with me. So, like a year later, I'd forgotten about them. They were in the storage, and a year later, I found them. I went, holy cow. So, I called the dude up, and I'm like, hey, man, you remember when I borrowed? And he goes, I wondered where those went. And I said, man, I need, I need to buy these for you. And he goes, uh, he laughed. He goes, dude, enjoy them. I said, no, man, I'm, uh, God's messing me up. I need to buy them. He goes, no, don't you even think about it. Give it to your church or something. He said, but he released me and, and, and our relationship was restored. But the more serious your offense, the less likely you are going to be able to make amends. You betray someone, there's not a monetary figure that you can place on that, but never underestimate the power of a sincere apology. Now, here's the bottom line, and we're done. I know my wife's back there going, Pastor Doug's running along today. There's no such thing as an unforgiving Christian. Because I've been forgiven a huge debt, I am expected by my God to forgive others. If you're a Christian, you've been graced by God. That means, God, when, when you weren't even ready, when you hadn't asked for it, God poured out His grace on you to cover up your sin. And so if you're a Christ follower, you've, you've accepted that grace. And simply because you've accepted that grace, you can grace others. The question is, will you grace others? All right, so here's the last thing we're going to do. I gave you an extra piece of paper, a blank piece of paper, where the rubber meets the road. I want you to think, and some of you are going to have to write real small so that nobody around you can see it. And, and I, you're not going to give this to me. I want you to write down the name or names of people who have hurt you deeply. Just write them down. In just a minute, I'll tell you what to do with those. Some of you need more paper? I got some toilet paper up here. You can write about the junk in your life. Now, in just a moment, we're going we're gonna to pray and be dismissed. And here's what we've done. At the back, as you leave, there's going to be a trash can there. 
Now, here's, here's the key. If you're willing before God to release them, and you may have to release them over and over and over again, I want you just to take that piece of paper, crumple it up, throw it in the trash can as you leave. If you can't release them, hold on to that piece of paper and you pray about it this week. And you just tell God, God, it's too fresh. It's too near. I can't forgive them right yet. I want to, God, but you're going to have to do some stuff in me before I can release this paper. That's okay. Just be honest with God. But this could be a freeing moment for some of you where you receive the grace and the freedom from God for the first time in your life.